You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing the ninth episode of season five of Orphan Black. Just one more to go, folks. No! This episode is called One Fettered Slave. And while we will discuss everything that happened in that episode, there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. So how did you feel about this episode, Chris? Here, I was just thinking my automatic response to knowing there's only one episode left is no, but at the same time, I'm kind of ready for it at this point, because I have been so upset by both this week's episode and last week's episode. I thought, I think I thought it was a pretty solid episode, but it's so upsetting to me, I'm not sure anymore. Yeah. How about you? How did how did you feel about it? Or do you know either? No, I think I'm in the same boat. I, I mentioned last week that the way that the episode was structured last week didn't entirely work for me because we had the stuff going on at, you know, with, like, with Mrs. S and Rachel and Delphine getting all of that together. And then we had Felix's art party. And like, I understood why they structured it that way. And they, they had the two different tones going on. The stuff at Felix's art party was just so unstructured. The scenes felt so unstructured. It, it made it difficult for, I think, think the momentum of the other storyline to really take hold for me. But this week we have, I feel like the complete opposite where I was just tense the entire time. Like I could feel my heart rate increasing as I was watching, which is probably not good for my health, but and the thing about this episode was there's no release for it. They We mm-hmm. end the episode just as imperiled as we began it, pretty much. And so it really was a very stressful Orphan Black watching experience. I can't it, – it's been a while since I've been this stressed out in it by an Orphan Black episode. I, I was going to say, this is kind of a classic Orphan Black episode then, though, right? I mean, that It really is. That it's got us so stressed out. It really is. There was a, a previous episode this season, which was tense and I was worried, but not to this extent. This is the most stressed out I've been in a really long time. Well, and I think part of it is knowing that there's only the one episode left. And given that they killed off a significant character, an extremely significant character last week, it just, the stakes feel super high. They really do. They really do. And can I complain about one of the ads that aired last night? Okay. I don't want to spoil anybody. I don't think this is particularly spoilery just because, I mean, this is, it's nothing specific. However, if you are sensitive to such spoilers, go ahead and fast forward maybe about 30 seconds to a minute. I was going to say, like, skip ahead 30 seconds or so. Okay. So on this ad, there was... It's it's the words, who will make it to the end? And I'm like, BBC America, you jerk. <laughs> I do yeah. not need that. No, that's not nice. I don't need it. I'm like, because starting this episode, I wasn't even excited to watch this episode. It got to nine o'clock and I'm just kind of like, do I really want to watch this? Like, I knew I was going to. First of all, because I had to record this. <laughs> And also, even though I have complicated feelings about the show right now, I still kind of love it as a whole. You know what I mean? I'm just really frustrated right now, is I guess what I'm saying. I'm sorry, Chris. Thank you. I accept your pity. 
Shall we dive into the different plot lines of this episode? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's start with the Helena flashbacks. I was wondering if we might be seeing some of these, and lo and behold, here they are. Now I'm wondering if that means they're saving Sarah flashbacks for the finale. We've discussed before, we don't know that the Sarah flashbacks are strictly necessary, but I kind of feel like they might be coming. It's true, because I don't know that I felt these were strictly necessary either. Agreed. Especially if you've read the Helena issue of the Orphan Black comics. I don't know that there's a whole lot new here. Sure, because I feel like they they introduced elements that we already knew were there in Helena's life. So it's kind of like, okay, sure, fine, now I know how that sort of got started. But I don't know that I necessarily really needed to see the moment of of inception for those things. Right. I think I'm, t- I'm t- talking specifically about her bleached hair, her use of, like, the dolls and understanding the clone conspiracy and – you know, the knife, Tomas giving her the knife that we see her use in season one. I don't know that I needed to see the introduction of all those things. It kind of, it didn't feel like it added much for me. Right. I guess out of those, maybe, maybe the origin of the bleach hair, just because we didn't really have context for that one. Sure. I mean, we should have known that it would be tragic. But, but I do think that if I'm remembering correctly, back in the day, we had wondered if perhaps Helena had bleached her hair to separate herself out from the copies right. when she was being so indoctrinated. So I guess it is, that's a good point. It is useful to see, no, that was not the case. It was something else different that was horrible that happened to her. <laughs> exactly. And then I'm just kind of like, so why has she kept it this whole time? That is my question, too. I guess maybe... at least our, our speculation before made sense in that context. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I'm just kind of lost. Yeah, I kind of wonder... Unless before... it's a representation of Helena's internalization of all of the abuse that she suffered. Right. That is That is my thing. I think that that is something that we can buy into up through at least season four or so. But I kind of feel like now that she has come to more of a of a, of an acceptance of herself maybe she should have been letting her hair grow out to brown again i do feel like her roots have gotten longer this season which might Possible. be which it, it might just be me thinking that and not actually true but still it seems like it should be more than than it is but i don't know I'm also kind of wondering, and I and I mean this as no disparagement to the actress. I thought the actress that they got to play young Helena was fantastic. I could definitely see that she had studied Tatiana Maslany's performance as Helena, and I could really see Helena's, especially her facial expressions, coming through on her performance. I'm, I apologize if I'm saying her name incorrectly, but the actress's name is Habri Lerat, or Lerat, and I thought she was fantastic. But I am wondering why they chose to use her instead of Cynthia Gallant, who usually plays clones when they're younger. I was wondering that also. The only thing I can come up with is, like, is she supposed to be younger? Yeah, because I do believe that the, that the actress they have playing her is a bit younger than Cynthia Gallant, but at the same time, not significantly enough so for me to understand why they chose not to use Cynthia. Right. No, I I agree with you. It'd be one thing if if they got an actor who was like five or four, like, okay, sure, Cynthia Glunt is clearly, you know, 10, 11, 12, around in that age. But she didn't seem all that much younger than Cynthia Glunt to me. 
Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, I, I think the actress is maybe eight. Yeah. But I feel like the character is supposed to be around six or seven when this mm. is happening, maybe. Maybe. And I'm like, okay, if if that's, I can accept that. <laughs> but yeah, I, it was an interesting choice. And something that I was watching, I'm like, but that's not, and then I, yeah, and then I spent basically all of that scene thinking about that. <laughs> And I also wondered, I can't tell from her her last name or her name, I also wondered if maybe maybe they thought to use Cynthia, but she had difficulty with like the, the Ukrainian accent or the Ukrainian dialogue. And maybe this young actor, maybe she speaks Ukrainian or, or is just more comfortable using that accent. I don't know. Hmm. Could be. But I don't know. That's just me speculating. Please don't. I'm not saying that I read that anywhere or something like that. But again... No, I mean, no disparagement to the actress they got. I thought she was great. But it just was curious to me that they didn't they didn't use their go-to for younger clone. Right. Yeah, that's all I've got is that I think Helena was supposed to be younger in this scene. That's a good guess. That's all I got. <laughs> I did want to say, though, as far as the flashbacks went, I did think the scene where we saw Helena kill a clone for the first time, I thought that scene was really well played. By Tatiana mm-hmm. Maslany. Like, for me, I'm like, okay, I can kind of... It's not that I, I disliked the flashbacks, but I just... Like we were saying, I didn't know that they were strictly necessary, but I thought There's that so flashback, little time left. I know, exactly. But I did think that flashback was really well done. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, out of all of them, that was the one where you're kind of like, okay, this this feels more necessary. Yes. Although I suppose the rest of them, the the argument could be made, the rest of them lead up into that moment. But yeah, I, I don't know that we needed as much as we got. Again, not complaining about the scenes themselves. I thought it was well done. But yeah. So little time, so much to do still, it feels like. Mm-hmm. So since we're talking about Helena, let's talk about the stuff that happened with Helena in the present time, if it's really present time, which it's... Not, but who knows, because Orphan Black time was not normal time. <laughs> it's 2011, 12? Who knows, in Orphan Black timeline. I think it's 2013 by now, but okay. it's also the fifth winter that we've experienced. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold in Canada, Chris. It's really cold. <laughs> in Texas, I'm just saying, we- like, the, the series starts in, in fall of... 2012, and I think we're maybe some point in 2013 right now, and five winters. <laughs> five winters <laughs> in that time. Well, see, we should understand this, Chris. We live in Texas, which has 20 summers in a year, so it's just... <laughs> there's 30 winters in Toronto. <laughs> that is a good point. You, you make an excellent point. <laughs> Thank you. So the current, or more current, at least, Helena timeline, this is where the upsetting stuff comes in. I I feel like I have I have had my fill, and it's not entirely Orphan Black's fault. And I, but but okay, take into consideration. I only watch really two TV shows in in real time, but I just I feel a little overwhelmed with upsetting things happening regarding pregnancies and women, and it was really it was rough for me. Yeah, that's fair, and it just seems like this happens a lot on genre TV anyway. And it's exhausting. It's so very exhausting. I'm still annoyed about the X-Files from from 15 years ago. 
This is a champion grudge holder. She is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I am. <laughs> I try not to be, but I kind of am. But that stupid jerk Westmoreland, pardon me, John, is a stupid, selfish jerk. Yes. I can't wait. Cut them out. You cut yourself out, John. And I feel like it's appropriate we're calling him John now because we we see that very dramatic moment where he removes his wig and, you know, he's removing the last of his artifice. He He just is what he is now. And he is greedy and he is cruel and he is desperate and he is dangerous. And he had that scene with Sarah as Rachel where he was just just cruel to her. And I mean, if you didn't want to punch him in the face before then, you certainly do that. Speaking for myself. His revealing the very personal details of Rachel's life that he learned probably mostly through his complete invasion of her privacy. I mean, that coupled with what was being done to Helena, he's he's really just the worst person ever. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the embodiment of all of the terrible things about patriarchy. And he had that really mocking line in this episode about, oh, the future is female, or haven't you heard? Ah! He's the worst. He's he's the worst. He's terrible. I believe the writers said he was like the worst person ever. And they were correct. He is. Again, it makes sense. This is the last season of the show. That is generally how, as writers, you would want to end your show. And I actually feel, I'm sorry for our British listeners listening, but I actually feel like it's incredibly appropriate that he's also not just like an older white man, but he's an older British white man, because you have sort of the history of Britain and their colonialism tied up in his background as well. And it, it just, he feels like a very good symbol for the evils that this show has been fighting against its entire run. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, no offense to our, our listeners in the UK. I'm sure y'all are all nice people. <laughs> Nothing personal. <laughs> unless unless you're colonialists. <laughs> unless you're colonialists. <laughs> and we also see him decide that Mark is completely ex- expendable in this episode. And Cody, because, like, Cody, you're terrible, but I was I was really rooting for Helena. Like, yes, Helena, get her to stand up to him. And she just won't. And, ugh. Yeah, I had a moment there where I thought she maybe would. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't happen. Like, you could tell that she was disagreeing with what he wanted. But, yeah. Yeah, it, f- it felt like she had opportunities in this episode to go against him. Mm-hmm. And she did not at every single turn. Right. I mean, he's clearly weakened at this point. She could. Like, if if she was going to make her move, she would have done it by now, I feel like. So when Helena bashes her face in, you're kind of like, yeah, Helena. Deserved it. Deserved it. I may have laughed. (laughs) Because I'm awful, apparently. I was going to say, maybe Cody still has a chance to redeem herself a little bit, but she seemed pretty darn unconscious, so I don't know that she's going to have much of an opportunity to do so at this point. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine she'll have kind feelings towards Helena at this point also. (laughs) It is true. It is true. But I do not blame Helena for what she did to Cody at all. Oh no, again, I laughed with glee because I'm terrible. 
I didn't laugh, but I did feel very satisfied when she bashed her face into the instrument tray. Thank you. Thank you for minimizing my terribleness. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I might be even more afraid of hospitals than now that I was previously having watched the show. Terrible, terrible things seem to happen in procedure rooms. I, I don't know that I can ever go into one again. You make a good point. <laughs> But also, I feel like Dr. Cody and, and John probably aren't there, so it's probably safe. I know, but what if Helena is? Remember what she did to that poor doctor? <laughs> but, I mean, as long as you don't do anything to Helena, Helena won't do anything to you. That's true. I'll just, I'll try to hug her and hope she won't kill me. Yeah. Or harm That's me. That's generally a good, a good uh, approach to dealing with Helena. <laughs> And don't forget, don't forget Johansson. He's also a peril waiting in procedure rooms on Orphan Black. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. But Helena took care of him. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Yes. I And I really hope See, that Helena... See, here's the thing. You need to take Helena with you when you go. There we go. I, I Here we go. I just need to have uh, be armed with a lot of tasty snacks at all times when I'm nearing hospitals. That way, if I run into Helena, I can easily recruit her with food. There you go. Yes. I did like that we saw her sneaking chocolates in the flashbacks. I thought that was pretty cute. Yep. Such as Helena. Such as how Helena has always been, apparently. But getting back to Dr. Cody just for a second, in the scene where she killed Mark... She did seem, I think, genuinely upset about it. That was probably her most human moment that we've seen from her on mm -hmm. the show. I agree. Because while I wasn't entirely sure if she felt truly sad about Ira's death, she did seem truly sad about Mark. Right. Of course, it had been, you know, 20 years or whatever since she'd spent time with Ira. It's true. And I don't know. I, I think she was crying for Mark specifically, but it's also possible she was crying for the end of her long-term work. You know, it's possible it was less personal about the clones and more about her. But I, I think she did seem genuinely sad about Mark. Mm-hmm. And I think from her comment that she made to Westmoreland when they were alone, she did seem to indicate that he was the last caster. Yes. Again, I don't know that we fully know yeah. that that she even is aware of anybody else out there. But it but seems yeah. at least it seemed at least to her knowledge he was the last caster. Right. And given that the series is almost over, I think it's safe enough to assume. How did you feel about Mark's death and the idea that the casters would be all dead by the end of the series? Um I feel like those are two separate things. Okay. Because when Mark died, my thought was, and there's another character that they brought back just to kill. Yeah. After they did that with Gracie last episode, I just, I kind of, I kind of let out like a weary sigh, I guess. As far as the casters being killed off, as far as we know, at this point in the series, I... I don't know how I feel about that. I'm on one level okay with it, but on another level kind of sad about it. Just because Mark had made that deal with them back at the end of season three, where it felt like, you know, they were kind of family. And so I'm kind of sad about it on that level. 
How about you? I too had a weary sigh of, uh, why did they bring him back just to kill him? I felt somewhat relieved when he died just because the casters were shown to be pretty dangerous weapons, like their biology was shown to be fairly dangerous. So it, it was comforting on one level that he was gone. But I I do feel sad. I, I don't particularly like the idea, actually, of all the casters being dead by the time the series is over, even though at the same time it feels like a level of security of that dangerous biology not getting to other people. I know they're still loosened about that, but I did have that thought when he died. A very scary loose end about that, because it's true. at least if Mark's biology was with Mark, Mark seems like a decent person, generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But now it's in the hands of the evil people. It's true. And we, we did get an email from Joe, who had this to say. He said, the cosmetics ac- acquisitions by Neolution, I believe, were to provide a dermal delivery system of Cody's sterilization agenda. That is why she needed a sperm sample from Mark, because that was how it had previously been spread to unsuspecting women. Now they will be inflicted by applying face cream instead. And I think that's a pretty reasonable conclusion. Mm-hmm. Reasonable and terrifying. Exactly. So that is definitely something we need to have resolved by next week. I want that caster pathogen wrapped up and out of the way of doing harm to women for sure. Yep. It does feel like it would be a disservice to what the show has stood for if they don't do that. Yeah, agreed. But it seems like they primarily brought Gracie and Mark back. Like, I, I get it. They they were kind of loose ends in a way. But I, I I don't know if they brought them back specifically to get Helena back into the into danger to ramp up the tension for the end of the season. I don't know that they necessarily needed to for that purpose or if they just brought them back for kind of closure purposes, in which case I don't like that closure was just to bring them back to kill them. But they did very effectively put Helena back in the path of Dr. Cody. Mm-hmm. I do feel like it is to some extent that whole, you know, OK, it's the final season who should we and who can we bring back, if only to give a nod to the past four seasons of the show, you know? Yeah. But yeah, not happy about how they ended that. How they tied up that loose end. So depressing. (laughs) But I do think that it made sense to use, especially Gracie, as a way to put Helena back in the path of, of harm's way and Cody and Westmoreland's path. Excuse me, John. He should be called John now. I thought that the way that they brought her in to use that, it actually makes sense because they did have a relationship. Gracie would have potentially known where Helena might have been hidden. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, now we have Helena smack in the middle of harm's way. And it's terrible seeing her so vulnerable because while she's been in sticky situations before, it's always felt like we knew she would be able to take care of herself. And while eventually she is here, it was really upsetting to me to see her be put down so low by especially what Dr. Cody said to her. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cody's the worst. I don't which know is also why I laughed when <laughs> Helena bashed her face in. But is she worse than John? No. I think they're at least tied. Yeah. John's probably a little worse, just because, again, Cody seemed to 
disagree with him on some points, but... Okay, so... (sighs) Helena being tied up to the hospital bed, first of all, just stresses me out. And the face mask. That was distressing, too. Yes. And so, of course, you know that Helena is sitting there sort of trying to plot her escape, right? Because she's Helena. And so they had that great scene where she's like looking around and she she sees the medical tubing that she's connected to, forms it into like a little bit of a lasso, <laughs> lassos the tray, and just starts doing this sort of reckless stuff like she always does. But I kind of appreciate, and we talked about this the other week, that Helena's recklessness is like a calculated recklessness, hmm. right? Rachel, the other week, it's all sort of methodical, I guess is maybe the word for it, right? Yeah. Her plotting and trying to, like, cut the the strap that ties her to the hospital bed, which doesn't work. So instead, we get that scene of her cutting her veins open, which I did not need to see. And I was already mad at the show for last week, and I am furious anew. For some reason, that scene didn't bother me as much as it has seemed to have bothered you. Would you have been more okay if they had implied it and then shown all the blood on the floor later? Was it the actual cutting part that was bothersome to you? Or was the fact that she got to that point, was that the part that bothered you? The combination of the two. Okay. I think. I don't know. I can't tell anymore. I think a thing happened last week, which broke my trust a little bit. Yeah. And so now I'm just not sure what it is that the writers are going to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I had a moment where I was genuinely afraid that Helena was actually going to kill herself. Hmm. I felt pretty confident Helena was going to be, it was going to survive. I almost said she was going to be okay. I did not feel confident she was going to be okay, but I felt confident she was going to survive because she only managed to cut one side and not the other. Uh Uh-huh. I guess I was okay with it. I don't like that it got to that point. Don't get me wrong. However, we see Helena being Helena. You know, she's in survival mode. She's trying to figure out how she can escape. And she tries. She really gives it her all and just isn't able to. And I think had she not been pregnant, I think she would have gone out fighting. But I believe because of her twins, she felt like her best action was to try to save them. So I could understand where her actions were coming from, and it made it slightly less depressing for me, (laughs) which maybe sounds strange, but it did feel true to character for me. I'm not saying it doesn't feel true to character. I'm I'm just just explaining why it didn't bother me as much is what what I'm getting at. Yeah. I'm not trying not trying to imply what you felt, but that is why me personally, it didn't bother me as much as it seems to have bothered you. Honestly, I think a lot of it's lingering resentment from last week. That's fair. I think I'm also okay with it because I actually really love how that whole episode concluded with bringing Sarah in and hooking them up together so that they're sharing a bloodline now. Mm-hmm. It just felt like this ultimate, <laughs> like Wonder Twins activate moment, which is a silly, 
a silly way to put it, but you know, they are, cause I don't believe we see them remove that bloodline between the two of them when they're trying to escape. I think they're still connected. So mm-hmm. this idea that Sarah and Helena are just so intrinsically connected to each other right now at the end of the series where they're going to have to fight to get out and to be themselves and to save the twins. I kind of love that. Right. See, this is this is where parabiosis does work. <laughs> Brought it back around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was both like a callback to the parabiosis attempts that John was doing earlier in the season. And it also reminded me of Cody giving Sarah Rudy's blood in season three. Obviously, mm. that was a lot more mm-hmm. nefarious, but it did feel like maybe it was a callback to that episode back in the in season three. Good call. And we received an email from Stephen, which I, I'm pleased of because I had seen this image, but it, it didn't really dawn on me. It probably would have the, the next time I looked at it. Uh, but there was a promotional not really photo is a promotional image that was released for this season. And it's a reference to a Frida Kahlo painting called the two Fridas. It, she painted it in 1939. You can look it up online. And it is an image of two versions of herself. You can see their hearts are very visible and they're connected to each other. The hearts are connected to each other through a line, like a transfusion. And then the Frida on the left is she's holding a pair of scissors, which look very much like the scissors Helena tried to use in this episode to free herself and then kill herself. And she is wearing a dress, the left Frida with the scissors that looks remarkably like the dress that Helena wore back in season two, her wedding dress that she escaped from Johansson's farm in. And so the promotional image that they made for Orphan Black is Helena on the left as that left Frida, and then Sarah on the right holding Sarah's, uh, holding Kira's little sock monkey. And they're holding hands. It was, and so now that, that image (laughs) seems to have been forecasting this moment that we just got at the end of this episode. Yep. I mean, how perfect. Mm hmm. And it's, it's really amazing. I hadn't looked at that Frida Kahlo painting for a while, and it was remarkable how much the dress that the left Frida is wearing looks like Helena's dress from season two. Because I kinda, I saw I saw the promotional image and I wondered kind of why they had resurrected that dress. But now seeing the painting again, it's like, ah, that's why. It looks a lot like the dress she's wearing. The the Frida on the right in the painting looks nothing like Sarah. You won't you won't believe me, Chris, but in nineteen thirty nine leather jacket, black jeans, not a popular look for <laughs> for women in Mexico. So <laughs> huh. good to know. But yeah, I'm I'm familiar with the Frida Kahlo painting. I was before, mm-hmm. but uh, hadn't hadn't looked at it that close recently. Yeah, I mostly just remembered the two of them sitting there holding hands. Yeah, one in a dress, and I think the other in was she wearing pants or was it? No, she's wearing. She's also wearing a dress. Okay, it's like a very colorful orange and blue dress. That's right. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's interesting to reference Frida Kahlo here. She also has a very famous painting of when she i can't remember if she had a stillbirth or a miscarriage uh, but she had a very she had a a pregnancy that ended in the child not surviving and she there's a painting of her expressing her grief over that and it it feels very appropriate to kind of loop some frida kahlo imagery in here even if they don't reference it super specifically on the show that promotional image felt very appropriate 
So the confrontation between Sarah and John in his office, where Sarah pulls out the knife, Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like Sarah was having to be Helena in that moment. Totally. And yeah, I I had that moment also that as she's pulling out that knife, it's like, oh, this is sort of a callback to Helena and her knife. And then, you know, she takes takes a swipe at him and is... Not that successful, it seems like. And I'm like, nah, Helena would have Helena would have done it. It's true. Sorry, Sarah, but she did her best and like she did manage to nick his neck pretty well, but mm-hmm. Helena Helena probably would have been would have would have been a, b- a bit more successful at it. But Sarah right. gave it a good try. Yes. We appreciate you, Sarah. We really do. But that was really when Sarah took on the role as Rachel. That was really the first Sarah got her hands in on the rescue effort for Helena this week. I think because Sarah was mourning it, our, our wonderful, our exquisite men of orphan black were really driving the effort to get Helena back. And it was nice. I was actually thinking about this before. It, it seems like a big theme of this season, not the men specifically, but the, not the side characters, but the non-clone members of Clone Club have really stepped up their efforts to help this season. Mm-hmm. They've really sort of taken control of the the conspiracy unraveling efforts. We've seen Mrs. S take a big part of it. And so it was nice that in this episode, Art really seemed to be the one to step in and be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. But at the same time, Orphan Black managed to do that without diminishing our core female cast. Because that's often the thing that's problematic is when, because when I was thinking, oh, the men did it this week, that's an aberration, right? Usually it's it's our, our female characters who are really driving the action of the episode. But I didn't feel like because Art and Felix and Scott and Hell Wizard stepped in to really help out and and find Helena in this episode, it didn't feel like it, they were doing it because Sarah couldn't. You know, it was just that this was a particularly bad moment for Sarah. They were doing it out of love for Sarah and the clones. Right. It felt felt very much like Sarah shouldn't have to be the one to do this right now. Exactly. And I mean, Art kind of says as much to her that Mrs. S saved them all. And there's that great scene between the two of them early in the episode where he's just kind of like, if you need anything at all, I've, I've gotcha. I'm like, oh, Art. I thought this was a great episode for Art. It really was. Generally, I think Art has been underused, though mm-hmm. there's, I, I recognize the show has a huge cast and it's difficult to use all of the characters to their full potential. But I thought this was a great episode for Art, starting with that really wonderful scene between him and Sarah. It it really like I'm getting I'm getting choked up thinking about it, but it really touched me how how he he expressed his his sympathy and his gratitude to Sarah about Mrs. S. Yep, and it and it makes sense to me. It it feels like even though we just got glimpses, he and Mrs. S had a lot of respect for each other. Right. Yeah, I I'm thinking especially of last season when Art sort of. And this seems so weird, and it probably is really weird. He respectfully steps aside to let her take care of Duco. Mm-hmm. And when I say take care of, I mean she shoots him with a rifle. Yes. So yeah, like the level of trust there seems very high. 
And I feel like we see Art, Art has always been one of the most cautious characters. And he really wants to keep the clone stuff separate from his stuff, which is completely understandable. But it felt here, perhaps in Mrs. S's absence, perhaps for other reasons, he felt more willing to potentially harm himself and his life to help the clones. You know, when he goes and he takes the risk to talk to his lieutenant and figure out what was going on, which ultimately proved successful. It just, it felt like Art really stepped up yet another level to be a friend and an ally to the clones. Right. Of course, I mean, they've established that the Neolutionists have no qualms about dragging in innocent people into harm's way. Absolutely. And they've threatened Art's family. And I mean, you can tell that Art's one of those people who's like, don't mess with my family, right? Art's kind of like, do as you will to me, but don't mess with my family. And it's not just his daughter at this point, you know? Like, I, I feel like Art has really adopted Sarah, especially Sarah and Kira, I feel like, right? They feel like family to Art to me. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that at this point in time, Art would be willing to step in and risk his life to keep everybody safe from these people who are completely willing to harm and kill completely innocent people. That that feels true to Art's characterization. I was sad for Art that he ended up having to shoot Frontenac. Mm-hmm. But... I feel like it's less of a terrible situation for him to be in, at least, than if he had shot Anger back at the beginning of the season when they were digging up where Leaky was buried. He had that moment right. where he considered killing her. And then I would just been just heartbroken for Art. And while I, I really wanted for him to sort of escape the clone situation as unscathed as possible, you know, this feels less bad than it could have been. Right. And I mean... The thing, too, was if he'd killed Anger, that would have been more of an in-cold-blood situation. Exactly. Because he wasn't in immediate danger. As far as we know, nobody else was in immediate danger. This one, Frontenac was basically threatening to shoot and kill Art. Yes. And he didn't, you know, he said, don't make me do this. As soon as Frontenac clearly was going to make a make a move for his weapon that he just said he was going to do i mean i i can't blame art i can't i can't blame him yeah he frontenac raised his weapon so it wasn't even that he was just reaching for it he he had it in his hand and he was raising it so i'm still i'm upset that it happened but i keep i'm telling myself it could have been worse (laughs) right it could have been worse for art at least sort of for more morality speaking. I think clearly he still feels bad about it and he doesn't, he wish he hadn't had to do it, but I think he would have been even more of a mess if he had shot anger when he was considering it. Right. But there's still one episode yet left and Art's going into the danger zone. I shouldn't have said that because now I have that stupid song in my head. (laughs) Way to go, Stephanie. And now it's stuck in all of our heads. (laughs) And it seems a little lighthearted for the, for the, Dire situation, so I won't sing it, but it's in my head. 
curse you. However, I'm sorry. <laughs> However, I did feel kind of like f- comforted and a little bit like, yeah, when Art shows up with his bulletproof vest on and he gets out his baton, I'm like, okay, whoo, because I was worried. I kind of forgotten that Art was out in the car and I was thinking that like Scott and Hell Wizard were going to be Sarah and Helena's backup. They're great guys, but they would have been out of their depth if they tried to go, you know, help them with Dr. Cody and that whole like security situation there. Yeah, I, and I appreciate that Scott wanted to help, but at the same time, Scott's more of like a delivery guy. <laughs> Yeah. Again, no offense to Scott, but that's how we've seen him help before. Yeah. You know, he he's the one who delivered Kasima's message to Sarah back in season two. You know, it's it's more stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, Art was prepared. He's been trained. He's at least a police officer. Again, Scott, you're a great guy. You're very smart, but you would have been out of your depth here. And I would rather you be safe over... Outside of Dyad. Exactly. Go back to Kasima and help Kasima with what she's doing. Yes. Your skill set is not this, is what <laughs> we're saying. I did like Scott showing up to babysit Rachel, though. That was great. I was a little surprised he did not show up with board games. Me too. And I kind of was waiting. Probably it would have been a little off tone wise for the episode, but I kind of was waiting for him to be like, we're playing Agricola again and you're not going to cheat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or I brought a game you can't cheat at, Rachel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and you and you got to love Felix's quips as he walked into the boardroom about... <laughs> about redecorating yes about redecorating like why do i suddenly feel like i'm in the wrong room (laughs) i was relieved when it turned out he was just a distraction Mm -hmm. it's like felix what is your plan here oh my gosh pretty much yeah i appreciate that you're intervening but what are you gonna do (laughs) again not his skill set although distractions right in his wheelhouse Exactly. (laughs) Felix is very good at distractions. (sighs) I'm so stressed out still. I'm sorry. I've been trying to help, but I'm probably not going to alleviate your stress entirely. I mean, there's just, it's not going to happen. At least for another week. Yeah. I don't know how I'm going to feel in a week. Emotionally confused and a little traumatized, probably. And on that awkward note... If you're interested in listening to our other podcasts, Season 3 of Killjoys is currently airing on Sci-Fi, and we're releasing weekly episode discussions on The Quad, our Killjoys podcast. You can listen to episodes and subscribe to the podcast at askgenretv.com slash Killjoys. Killjoys, by the way, is a great show. Yes, and one of the Orphan Black writers, he wrote the most recent episode of Killjoys, so they've got a lot of similar dna killjoys and orphan black so if you haven't given killjoys a try go do it it also has in my opinion very good tight writing yes it's it's sort of like an epic action movie but like as a tv show and there's great character stuff which chris and i are always there for yes absolutely so chris you unfortunately seem to have picked the worst week of orphan black to go see your family in Nebraska and not being able to record because you weren't able to process your feelings about Mrs. S. It was it was not uh, great. No. It's like, had I only known, but 
I've been trying to get up to Nebraska for over a year. <laughs> and it was just sort of like the the way timing worked out. I'm a little mad at Orphan Black again for their delayed airing schedule. Yes, we are. We are not happy with them for beginning in June for many reasons. Many reasons. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also emotionally exhausted because, yeah, I I watched the episode live with my cousins who they watched the show, but they hadn't been watching live. And I'm like, are you guys sure you want to watch this? And they're like, no, no, it's fine. And then I had to, like, keep all my feelings inside because I was trying to have a nice time with my family. But really, I just kind of I felt like crying uh basically all week and did cry several times i've cried three times today already oh i looked at a gift set this morning and i just started i started crying i thought the funeral was very beautiful i like that they had a, a presumably irish singer and the note that they read from s was was lovely it, it was a tough scene to get through though i got very and that's emotional. what keeps making me cry yeah, I got very emotional. And I also felt emotional because not all of the clones were able to come to the funeral. Yeah. I appreciate that we at least got that scene of Allison and Kasima talking about that. Yeah. And yeah, that they were talking about Sarah and and she always has to be strong. It's not right. I was like, oh, I feel like I feel like maybe Allison finally gets Sarah. I think it I think it kind of took a while. Yeah. That's something I really hope we see in the finale is Kasima and Allison helping Sarah and Helena in however this is going to conclude because and I don't mean this to be a criticism of the episode but Kasima and, and Allison were very much over here for the episode and while we have Sarah and Helena like reunited and together at the end here I want to see core clone club coming together at the end of the series. Agreed. I feel like it has to happen just because, I mean, I know everybody always talks about the, the clone dance party, but that was sort of the moment where every season they talk about how they had to match that, if not mm-hmm. try to best it. So I feel like we are, this, this sounds very entitled of me, but I feel like, I feel like they're indebted to us. <laughs> like, they, they owe it to us that they have, like, a scene of all of Clone Club together. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I don't think they won't. I, I'm just, I'm just want to pull for it really hard. I want a Clone Club together thing. And, and in particular, because even though we had, like, the dance party and the dinner scene at the end of season three... Like, I, I want them in particular, I really want the four of them to work together to bring the clone plot to its conclusion, whatever it's going to be for the series. I, I really want them to be working together on it. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. Something that's sort of the equivalent of Kasima and Delphine hitting the send button. Together. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then I want I want comforting hugs. Lots of comforting hugs. Yes. I feel like I need that also. (laughs) I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Allison alluded to the fact that Sarah hasn't really cried yet. Mm -hmm. And we see her 
morning Mrs. S here, finding her jacket and smelling it and looking at the the names that are on the door jam for when she and Felix were growing up and they marked their heights at the different ages. And you and I have been talking about this kind of throughout the week. And I, I think both of us are, are not happy that they chose to have Mrs. S die here, mm-hmm. but something that would make it less painful, I think, is if Mrs. S's home could become a home for Clone Club where, you know, Sarah becomes the Mrs. S, essentially. Right. Yeah, because as much as I hate that they killed Mrs. S, and I do hate it, I feel like it does, in significant ways, fit in with the themes of the show. Because it is sort of a thing that happens to most of us, right? We lose our parents at some point during our lives, and and have to grow into that role. And so it does make sense for me if they have Sarah take that on. We've seen Sarah do similar things in the past. I feel like it would make sense if Sarah sort of steps in as like group group mother, mm-hmm. if you will. And yeah, I mean, Mrs. S's house has been sort of a home base for Clone Club, so it would make sense to me too if if they keep that consistent at least this is my kind of blue skies happy ending for the series and it doesn't actually need to happen but if it if the series the way it ends if it will let me imagine it i i would like to think of seeing sarah you know opening the door and and kira running out so she can walk down the street to go to school and like maybe Helena and her twins are living with them. Maybe Charlotte's there too. You know, if it could be if Mrs. S's home, if Mrs. S, who they, you know, they, they, there's that line this season where Mrs. S's code name is home. And if the house, which is really our kind of last representation we have of Mrs. S on the show, if that could end as being a real home for the clones, I think that would make me happy. Mm hmm. Maybe show Sarah with Mrs. S's rifle, sort of leaning it against the doorframe. Wearing one of her cardigans. I'm going to cry again. I'm sorry. Maybe also when Kira runs out the front door to walk to school, she, she meets up with Art's daughter on the way. Maybe Aww. Art's daughter came to came to get her. That'd be How about nice. That? Yes. <sighs> I'm emotionally exhausted. Well, I guess for this episode, I, I want to talk a little bit about Rachel. Because it felt like she was really an ally to them here. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense based on what happened last week. Because Rachel doesn't have anybody else at this point. Yeah. Because it felt like even though, yes, Art comes over and he has a gun and he takes away her plane ticket, she seemed much more willing to be involved in helping them get Helena back and much more cooperative than she has in the past. To be fair, I think for the first time in a long time, or possibly ever, their interests line up right now. Because mm-hmm. I think Rachel has really had that big revelation that Neolution is not looking out for Rachel at all. Yeah, Neolution's interest in Rachel is because of the science, and really not for any other reason. And so, yeah, I mean, it... it makes sense to me that 
Rachel's kind of like, okay, if I cooperate with these people, I can finally be free of this too. And this is just my interpretation of her. But she also, to me, seemed more at peace with herself. Or at the very least, she seemed stripped of some of her artifice that she has perhaps worn previously to assert her authority and to be different from the other clones. You know, her hair was kind of curled. It wasn't perfect and all in place. You know, she was willing to let Art and and Felix sort of see her scars from where they removed her eye. You know, it, it, she just seemed a bit more, a bit more real, I guess. Yeah. Which, again, fits in with that whole thing of, like, the last two episodes especially. They've just spent chipping away at all of Rachel's veneer, if you will. And again, I feel like it's not that Rachel is suddenly a member of Clone Club and she's to be trusted and, and all of that business. I think she's still a very problematic, troubled person. But I would be comfortable if this is sort of the relationship that they end the show with, like it, it, the relationship she has with Clone Club here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with it. Speaking of which, we got a message from Joe saying, as I said, I have always been a sucker for a good redemption story, and although Rachel has always proven to have her own agenda that ran contrary to the rest of Clone Club, Mrs. S said, now our interests are very firmly aligned. Siobhan has been the mother figure for all of the Lita clones, and in the last two episodes, this included Rachel as well. Mrs. S extended a lifeline to Rachel when she came to pick up Kira. Rachel's bond with Kira and her anger with PT's betrayal influenced her to save Kira from becoming another lab rat, like she had been her whole life. Mrs. S thanked her silently and sent help in the form of Ferdinand because she sensed that Rachel needed it. In the hotel room, Mrs. S says to Rachel, you saved my granddaughter. I'm willing to take a gamble on nature over nurture and trusted her with all of the evidence they had gathered. That act of unconditional trust was new to Rachel. And I think she transferred her feelings of parental longing to Siobhan, especially since she just lost the only mother she ever knew in Susan Duncan. In exchange for the shadow file, Siobhan simply offered Rachel the one thing she desired most, freedom. I do think Rachel would have run off with Ferdinand if he chose freedom, freedom over greed, but he failed the test. I was surprised he didn't kill her like he did when MK looked like her. I'm also glad Rachel warned Mrs. S of Ferdinand coming for her. And speaking of the fact that Rachel did save Kira, we have a, a repeat of that same motivation, I feel like, here in this episode, where when Helena decides to try to kill herself, it's because she doesn't want her twins to become experiments like she was. And mm -hmm. that's the whole reason Rachel saved Kira. She didn't want Kira to become, have the same childhood she did. And also echoes essentially Mrs. S sacrificing herself last week, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. But thank you for your email, Joe. And yeah, I don't, I don't know entirely how Rachel felt toward Mrs. S when she died, but I, I do think we, like you mentioned, we see some definite fonder feelings from Rachel toward S, especially since she did call S and warn her that Ferdinand had survived and he was, he was probably gonna, gonna come visit her. Right. I mean, especially with the ongoing theme of Rachel being betrayed by all of the parental people, like here's, here's one who's not going to pull that kind of nonsense, right? Yeah. Because pre prior to this, I don't think Rachel would have given a darn what had happened to Sarah and her allies, you know, so it is significant that she 
followed up with S and told her Ferdinand survived and be careful. Right. Uh, Joe mentioned MK's death in his uh, comment, and we, we had another message about that from last week from Francie. Francie says, Hey, Chris, and hey, Stephanie, not really a comment on the eighth episode, but a question. You talked about MK's death and how you have to see the story unfold to fully evaluate her death. Now that Ferdinand is killed and how he was killed, I would be interested to know your interpretation of MK's death. I'll look forward to your next podcast. You're my source of sanity within the fandom hysterics, which happen from time to time. Much love from Germany, Francie. Thank you for your note, Francie. Uh, how are you feeling about that whole source of sanity thing, Chris? <laughs> um, I am sorry for failing you. Because, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a horrible, horrible mess. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast already or if I was just talking to Stephanie, but I have basically been on the verge of tears all week. Aww. Like, like angry tears. Oh. <laughs> Because it turns out uh, my response to grief is often uh, anger. It just it just makes me really angry. Sad and angry. So what is your take on MK's death now that we've seen how Ferdinand expired? Sad and angry. <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am sort of joking uh, at my own expense. And also, I am serious. I don't... I don't know. I don't feel like it was necessary. Yeah, I, I f- understand it in the context of getting to this point, maybe. But in terms of like strict necessity, it it isn't. No, I don't think. How about you? I'm in the same boat. If I'm trying to think of it from a narrative perspective, it's there to turn Ferdinand back into a clear villain, for sure. But thinking on how season four ended, he's holding Mrs. S and Kara hostage. Mrs. S put a corkscrew through his hand. He was already on the side of villainy. So I don't know that having him kill MK in such a violent way was necessary to put him back on that track. Because I'm trying to think if even if we had just seen the way he treated Rachel in last week's episode, I would have been like, oh, yeah, kill him. It's time. So I just, I, I like you, I don't know that it was strictly necessary for him to do that to MK. And while I can see it's, I can, I can see what they were trying to do with it, but I don't think they had to. Yeah, actually thinking about it right now, the fact that he basically killed MK because he was mad at Rachel, or at least in large part because he was so upset with Rachel, it makes me less comfortable with the last time we saw him with Rachel. Does that make sense? How so? Oh, just because he had all that rage about Rachel, but then they basically entrusted him with Rachel. Yeah, that's... It actually makes it... Made it seem strange to me that he would come and save Rachel at S's request, since he was so angry at her the last time we saw him. So angry that he killed a clone because of it. I mean, granted, it wasn't just because of Rachel. It was that combined with that whole finishing the previous job thing. Right. But still, thinking about it now, I'm I'm less comfortable with that. So I think what we're saying is we, we have not loved the death choices this season. <laughs> that is fair. Yes. Yeah. I'm so nervous about next week. Me too. 
And then to conclude on a, a less emotional note, we got an email from Cindy, who was responding to a previous discussion we had about parabiosis, which we saw Westmoreland attempting to treat whatever disease he has earlier this season. And do you want to read what Cindy had to say, Chris? Sure. Cindy says, I have a minor problem with the characterization of parabiosis in this episode. From what I've read, it is an old technique dating back to the 1860s and has been revived in the past few years by a few labs in the field of aging research. It has been shown to prolong life in mice, and there is an ongoing clinical trial testing its efficacy in treating Alzheimer's. Its safety and anti-aging effects in humans haven't been proven, so I think it's fair for Susan to call it highly suspect science. But it's not entirely snake oil. I'm not a biology major, so I'm not the definitive authority in this in any way. This is just from my limited research. Thanks for sending that in, Cindy. We are also not definitive authorities in parabiosis (laughs) in any way. But if there are people listening who have more information and background in such things, we would love to get responses from y'all. I do want to clarify the mention of snake oil in the previous discussion about this was based on my Googling parabiosis. And that was one of the headlines that popped up on the first page was, is parabiosis the new snake oil? <laughs> just just to clarify, I do not even know what conclusion they came to, because I don't think I read that article. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've gotten a few tweets. And Sarah Nielsen tweeted us to say, I wasn't ready. Now I'm even less ready for next week. What will we do without this show? And my response was experience less stress. (laughs) I think this is probably true. And then Sarah responded, but more sadness. (laughs) Honestly, I don't know because the show's making making me pretty sad these past few weeks. So I don't, I don't know. I no longer know. Also, Sally, our friend Sally, who thank you again for co-hosting last week, Sally, replied with uh, all caps, mind you, holy crap. And that was her entire message. (laughs) In in response to asking if anybody has uh, feedback that they'd like to share on the podcast this week. (laughs) So holy crap. In all caps. Thank you, Sally. Yes. All caps, holy crap. Well, thank you, Sally and Sarah and Joe and Cindy and Francie for sending in your feedback. We really appreciate it. If you would like to send us your thoughts about this episode, you can do so in a number of ways. You can send us an email, feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also send us a voice message. We love getting voice messages. You can call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can also record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. You can find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we are also on Facebook. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. You can listen to our other podcasts about Killjoys and Lost Girl and various other shows at AskGenreTV.com. And in this episode, Frida Kahlo was played by Tatiana Mislani. Thanks for listening.